Well, this morning we're going to do a double duty, and so we're going to spend a little bit more uh, you know, time jumping around maybe a little bit in Scripture, and I know that as we've been going through these um, sermons uh, on this topic, they have been a little bit more intense, and so, but uh, this morning I think that we want to uh, do the same thing again, just dive in right off the bat, and we want to talk this morning about the mission of the church and the church. And if you have our Confession of Statements, a faith statement book, and they're in the back if you need one, you will know that they are two separate pages or two separate um, you know, statements completely. But I want to combine these this morning because I really believe that they go hand in hand. Uh, you can't have a church without fulfilling the mission of the church, and the mission would make no sense without the church. And so what we want to do this morning is just combine these two and we're going to talk about them and interact with them together because I really think that the church needs to recognize that it's not just gathering here or not just gathering wherever it is for the sake of gathering. There is a mission. There is a purpose. There is a reason for gathering. There is, a, we could say it this way, there is a reason for existing as a church and it is, uh, I think, something that is sometimes overlooked. Um, I think the other thing that maybe I don't need to say, but I want to just make sure that we're all on the same page, is when I talk this morning about church, I am referring to the people. We are the church. Um, The church is not a building. The church is not a location. And I think sometimes this can get confusing because of the way that we speak, and I'm not really sure if there's a way around this, but we might say something like, hey, let's meet at the church, and then from there we'll go wherever, you know. Um, and so obviously at that moment we're, we're talking about the church building, and like I said, I'm not sure we can really get away from this kind of language because that's something that's just so part of what we are, what we, you know, how when we communicate. But I want us to just recognize this morning that when I'm talking about church and when we're talking about church in our confession of faith, we are referring to people. Jesus did not die for a building. Jesus did not die for a location. Jesus died to save people. And when you and I gave our lives to Christ, we became part of the church, and we will unpack that more. I want to read to us this morning a quote, and there's no source for this quote, so I don't know who wrote this. But here, I think, is a beautiful quote on how well uh, or how church should reflect in who we are as individuals or how we as individuals should reflect in who the church is. This is what it says. It says, this is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love of faith and service. If I who make it what it is am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. I think that's a beautiful statement because sometimes I think what happens in people is that we say, well, I want the church to be this and I want the church to be this, and yet those very same things that we would love for our church to be, we do not have ourselves. 
So we might say, man, I wish the church was more hospitable, and yet we ourselves are not very hospitable. I wish our church was more generous, but we are not generous. And so this morning, again, it's important for us to recognize when we are talking about church, we are talking about each one of us as individuals because we are the church. And so what a great reminder this morning from that quote to just say, what we want our church to be is what we obviously then need to be. And I can just start right off the bat and saying that I am so excited, and we'll close with this, but I am so excited about what God is doing in this church. And so if you think that you're going to, you know, get um, just, you know, a challenge this morning, I want to start by just reminding all of us that God is doing some amazing things through this church. And so we start with that. God's at work in our midst. And if you're a visitor with us today, and if you're wondering if this is a church you should belong to, I think after being here for a little while, you will recognize that God is doing an amazing work in us and through us. And so let's unpack then, what do we mean by church, and what is uh, our statement of faith regarding church? So we'll start with the church, we'll unpack that a little bit, and then from there we will move on to the mission of the church. So here's, here's what our statement of faith is regarding church. It says this, we believe that the church is the visible body of believers, the global community of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Members of this body are covenant together in local congregations and participate in the ordinances of water baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now that's a beautiful statement. It it encompasses a lot of different things. And so the first thing I want to just kind of pull out of that statement is that the church is a global people. Let us never think that Leamington or Deer Run Church here in Leamington is the only church. Let us never ever begin to think that the North American church is it. The global church is around the world and it has many different forms in the sense of what it may look like and how it practices certain things and and with the cultural sensitivity and all those kind of things. But how beautiful for us to know this morning that when we gather, we are only one part of a global gathering of churches, of local churches. And when you and I give our lives to Christ, we are part of a global church. The um, the The global community of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing to know that when you give your life to Christ, that you are part of a global community who has given their lives to Christ. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but I think all of us love to belong to something big. And I would just say to you this morning, you belong to something enormous. That's something that God is doing around the world. I think it's amazing to believe and to know that as we gather, that the church began, it started through at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Believers enter the church through the gift of salvation. And I think it's just an amazing thing for us to know that this morning, for all those people who have given their lives to Christ, all of us today are part of this, this beautiful global community that is following Jesus Christ. So it's not just one part. It's all the parts working together. We have an example of this or a beautiful picture of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul speaks to this. He says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So again, this morning, I, I trust that we are maybe encouraged and we are maybe even just, just a beautiful reminder this morning of the fact that we are part of this work that God is doing around the world. We are all called together to hear what God is doing. The church is the visible representation of Jesus Christ through its gatherings and ministries in the world. And this is important for us to also recognize that when we think about the church and when we think about you and I being the body, uh, the church, that we are the church, that we must then be a visible representation of Jesus. So you and I must live our lives then in such a way that we are representing who Jesus is and what Jesus stood for. The church is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the people empowered and gifted for witness. So the Holy Spirit came and he gifted us and he empowered the church, not so that we could gather in our little circles and we can gather in our little clusters, but that we could witness, that we could share what God has done in our lives. You heard me say this last week and we'll emphasize this more and more, that we were never called to focus inward. The church was always called to focus outward and to go and to share the gospel. The church expresses faithfulness to Jesus Christ by gathering regularly in local communities of believers for worship, for teaching, for fellowship, for witness, and for service. These assemblies are visible signs of God's gracious rule in the present and for eternity. Now I want to talk about this a little bit because I think sometimes, and this is a change that's happening more and more, uh, where today regular church attendance means that I go every few weeks. It used to be when we talked about regular church attendance, we were talking about people who were in church every single Sunday. So why is it so important for re- to have regular church attendance? There is something that we proclaim by gathering regularly as people. There's something beautiful about people gathering regularly. If you knew that there was a community group that was, you know, that met and, and they gathered, but people only came here and there and they came only when they wanted to, I think very quickly you would have an image of that community saying, it must not be all that important, it must not be all that fun, it must not even be all that meaningful, because if it was, people would be there regularly. And I think the same thing is true for us. When we gather, we are expressing God's faithfulness to us in the present and for eternity. There's a story of two men on a Sunday morning. These two guys were in a boat fishing. And after several hours on the lake, without catching a single fish, one of the men said to the other one, he says, you know, we probably should have stayed home and gone to church this morning. The other man says, well... I could have stayed home, but I couldn't have gone to church. And his friend wanted to know, well, why is that? And the guy responds, well, you got to understand, my wife is sick. His wife is sick, but he can go fishing, but he can't go to church. I remember many years ago, actually not too many years ago, I talked to somebody, and I'm sorry if you're in the room, and I, and I said to them, you know, we were talking, and they said, oh, you know, we're really sorry we, we missed church last Sunday. And I said, oh, why didn't, why didn't you come? What was up? Were you sick? And what was going on? He says, ah, we, we woke up late. We slept in. Well, you guys go to the English service, right? Yeah. So you slept till after 
no. I, I want to poke on this one a little bit. Because the value of regular church attendance. Parents, if we are not practicing this, what will our kids do? And sometimes when we look at regular church attendance and we say, ah, oh, people nowadays don't attend. Well, who taught them not to attend? Now, I understand that part of this conversation also needs to be the fact that church needs to be meaningful. Church needs to be engaging. If church is none of those things, if, if you're not being fed here on Sunday morning, and if you're not receiving anything, well, of course, why would you be inspired to attend? And so we work very hard, and we, we focus very much on making sure that Sunday morning is something that is appealing and something that is important for you to uh, attend to and, and attend and be part of and engage in. So I know that this is a two-way street, but I want to challenge you. If you are maybe here today, and you, this is something you've just caught yourself slacking off on a little bit, I would like to just remind you of the value of attending regularly. Churches gather so believers may worship. We can worship everywhere, obviously, but there's something about us worshiping corporately together in song and in other ways. We gather so that we may fellowship and work together in harmony. Believers who have confessed their faith in Jesus Christ through baptism enter into the membership covenant with a local congregation. Now, we as a church, in case you're not familiar with, uh, with what we practice here, we as a church and as the Anabaptist church, we have combined membership and baptism. And I know that there are some denominations that don't combine those, but we feel very strongly that when you give your life to Christ and you identify through baptism that you are a, a, a person who has surrendered their life to Christ, that you should then also immediately be identified and connected with the local church for multiple reasons. And so we, we combine those two here as, a, as Deer Run Church. Now, if you have been baptized upon the confession of your faith at a different, in a different church, membership transfer is something that's very simple. We have taken away a lot of the red tape because what we want from you is not to have this difficult process of becoming a member of this church. What we want to provide for you, if you've already received baptism and are a member of a different church and you want to transfer here for whatever reason, we want to create a simple place for you or a simple way for you to connect here for multiple reasons like accountability and encouragement and all those kind of things. So believers who make this covenant belong to the church. In other words, they are cared for by the church. They express the mission of the church, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. They accept responsibility for the church, for others in the church. They ask for accountability from, from their church. They help choose the leaders who will give direction and leadership to the church. And they serve in the church and in the community according to their gifts. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. There is something, again, about the church gathering to care for one another. Because when we are cared for, it should inspire us and motivate us to go out and to care for other people. The goal of membership is not to take away from the church. So if you become a member of this church... The goal for you to becoming a member is not so that you can just take and take and take. But at the same time, the goal is to, you know, to, to use the church or to allow the church to minister to you in those moments of need. So the goal of membership is not to just take from the church, but to contribute by building one another up. 
So we recognize that there are times in our lives where we will depend on the church and we will need the church, but that is not the only focus of being a member of the church. The focus of being a member is to to use the church, but also to give to the church. And so membership is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if you are not a member of this church, I would encourage you to consider doing it because the accountability, the encouragement, just the knowing that you are part of something, being cared for, and all the many different things that are part of being a member. But I know that one of the key things that I've heard so often when people talk about belonging to this church or belonging to another church is that you know that you are part of a community who is making a difference. So I want to push you and challenge you this morning that you would consider that you would consider being a member if you are not yet. So now we're going to talk about the ordinances of the church because there are certain things that you will hear if you're a regular attender here, you will hear us talking about. One of them is baptism and the other one is communion or also at times known as the Lord's Supper. These are called ordinances and what that means is that these are a prescribed practice um, by Jesus. These ordinances is something that the church practices because Jesus told us to do these things. So when we talk about the ordinances, it is a prescribed practice that Jesus has passed on to us. And the first one, let's look at that, baptism. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is something that Jesus says, go. I want you to go and I I want you to make disciples and I want you to baptize them. And so this is why we do baptism. This is why I would be as bold to say that baptism is a command of Jesus, that we are to be baptized if we have given our lives to Christ. Baptism serves as a public confession and an act of commitment to Jesus Christ in the presence of God in the community of believers. So baptism is this beautiful, beautiful opportunity for an individual to proclaim that I have, made a, uh, I have made a confession of faith to Jesus. I have surrendered my life to Christ, and I want others to know about it. And I look forward to April 30th when we have our baptism service here because there are going to be wonderful, wonderful testimonies of what God has done in the hearts of people. Baptism is commanded for those who have accepted salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, baptism is expected of those who desire to make a public commitment to follow Christ in all of life. Now, I want to just clarify a few things about baptism because like with, with a number of other things, sometimes these, there can, we can attach things to baptism that maybe is not supposed to be there. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not save you. You get baptized because you freely chose to surrender your life to Christ. You cannot be tricked. You cannot be manipulated. You cannot be, you know, guilt-tripped into giving your life to Jesus. And I'm sorry if someone has ever attempted to do that to you. That is not what Jesus ever practiced. Jesus was very blunt, and he would say, come, follow me, but here's what it's going to cost you. There was no beautiful bow tied around it, and then when you start to follow us, it's like, oh, surprise. So you freely surrender your life to Christ and then you receive baptism on the confession of your faith in Jesus. So baptism in itself does not save you. The other thing that's important for us to know, and maybe this is more cultural, but baptism is not a prerequisite to marriage. You do not have to be baptized to get married. It's not in Scripture. 
And I know this is going to push some buttons with some of you, and I do that on purpose because we cannot make baptism anything that it was never intended to be. Baptism is not some sort of way of qualifying for other ministries or other things. Baptism is a way of saying, I am identifying with Christ, and I want to show people that I have submitted my life to Jesus. The next one I want to look at is communion. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus says this, or Luke writes this, and he says, And he took the bread, Jesus, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we call this communion, or sometimes you may hear us talk about it as the Lord's Supper, but communion or the Lord's Supper is a public act that reminds the believer to continue in their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. By participating in the bread and the cup, by taking the bread and drinking the, and the, and the juice in the cup, believers thankfully remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for their salvation. So when we take communion, we are remembering with gratitude what Jesus has done for us. The Lord's Supper also represents the believer's communion with Christ and the unity that the believer finds in the body of Christ. And just like baptism, communion has sometimes been made something that it was not to be. So again, let me just clarify. Your sins are not forgiven by taking communion. We do not believe that. We do not believe that when you come and take for your, your communion, that now suddenly, by that act, your sins are forgiven. As with baptism, you do not need to be perfect. But because of the community aspect of communion, it is important for us to remember that if we hold something against someone, or if there's tension between me and another believer, how are we to be able to come to the communion table together in unity, and so if there is strife between believers, you need to go clear that up. And I think it's so important for us to always remember that, you know, we need to make sure that when we come together like this, that there is unity in, in, in the body of Christ. Communion is reserved for those who have made a commitment to follow Jesus. Why would someone want to take communion if they do not have a relationship with Jesus, why would someone want to say, I want to take communion so I can remember what Jesus has done for me when they have not embraced what Jesus has done for them? And so if we believe that, then we must also believe this next part. And this is, again, maybe going to push some buttons. Communion is for anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, regardless of age. I push that on purpose. Because it's important for us to remember this. I believe a child can take communion even if they only have a childlike understanding of their relationship with Jesus. The same is true with anyone who has special needs and does not have the ability necessarily to fully understand. Hear me carefully. Jesus would never rob them of the privilege of taking part of the Lord's Supper because of a lack of understanding. Because the focus of communion is in whatever mental ability, whatever place we are in our lives, at that moment to be able to say, I am taking communion as a way of remembering what Jesus has done for us. Remember, Jesus 
Jesus had communion with Peter, who would later deny him three times. He had communion with Judas, who would later betray him. He shared communion with the 12 disciples, knowing that none of them truly believed that he would rise from the dead. Because if they had, they would have been waiting at the tomb, counting down for the resurrection to take place. And yet here Jesus was, taking communion with them. How sad to know that today there are churches who would never allow people like Peter and the disciples to take communion. So I pushed that on purpose because I want us to remember the, the reason behind these ordinances. So now, we've said a few things about that and time is flying. So let's look very quickly at what is then the mission of the church. I could say so much more, and maybe I should have just done one, but let's look very quickly. What is the mission of the church? We believe that the mission of the church is to make disciples in all the world by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus in evangelism and compassionate ministries. God the Father is inviting all people to accept salvation in Jesus Christ and to enjoy the blessings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers the church in obeying the commands of Jesus to go and to make disciples in all nations. The church is often called to send missionaries into the world and to support them in prayer and with with gifts. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 says this, When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here we see Jesus with this deep compassion for the people that were there. The very heart of Jesus' ministry was to bring salvation to humanity. And I would say this morning, so as a church, as his body, with him as our cornerstone, the church must then also have the same heart. The church must have the heart of Jesus to reach those who do not yet have a relationship with him. So we must be willing to proclaim the gospel wherever we can. We proclaim the gospel, we proclaim Jesus Christ, you know, that he is the only way to salvation. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, sins are forgiven and reconciliation with God is available. These are the things that the church, you and I, must constantly be proclaiming to other people. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, celebration, preaching, teaching, intercessory prayer, local and international missions. Every single where we go as a church, we must proclaim the gospel. To other people. Now, if you are hearing me say that we are holding street signs up and we are yelling at people, that is not the way Jesus did it and that is not the way we should do it. But in how we live our lives and how we love people, we are constantly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter 13, uh, 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Oh, what a beautiful verse. What an important verse. We love this part. But what most of us may forget is what Paul continues to say. It's as if though he is reminding us that this does not happen without the participation of the church. So let me read it again and then continue reading. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Who is the last person that you have shared Jesus with? Who's the last person in your life, by name, that you have shared Jesus with? Don't make excuses. Don't just push back and stop listening. Allow me to push a little bit. Because if we are the church, and if we as individuals are called to fulfill the mission of the church, we cannot say, Pastor, that's your job. Because this style right here only goes so far. Most people will come and hear me preach and hear whoever's up here preaching, but this is not all they want from the church. They want interaction. So it's important for us to wrestle with this. And if the answer is, I have not spoken to anyone, but I am a believer, then we need to wrestle with the question of why do I feel that I should not be sharing or why have I not shared I don't want you leaving here now feeling guilt-tripped. You know that that is not my style. So what I'm doing here now is just in a loving way reminding you and I, myself included, that if we are part of the church, and if we proclaim to be believers in Jesus Christ, that we must go and we must share Jesus in the places where we are. So this morning I'm sending you if I may, I'm sending you into your schools. I'm sending you into your workplaces, into your community, into your families. Wherever God's leading you, I'm sending you this morning to go and to share Jesus with them. The church communicates the gospel through service. And this is going to be one of the most beautiful ways that we can share the gospel with a lot of the people in our lives because they're not going to want us to start preaching to them. But we begin to care for them. We begin to care for their needs. We show them that we love them. We show them that we are willing to sit in those difficult moments with them. And the gospel is shared in that way. And so many times, over time, people will then suddenly open up to hearing what our mouths want to say. We don't start necessarily with words. Sometimes, yes, but sometimes if that individual is still hardened towards God, the only way their hearts will be opened is through love. And that's what Jesus did. He healed people. He fed people. And then he preached to them. And he touched them. And he cried over them. And he had compassion for them. And then he would speak to them. And we have sometimes reversed that. I love serving in this church because I love the fact that more and more, as we continue along with our mission, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, more and more, this church is waking up to the calling that we have to our community. And this is my passion. And I love it. I met the other day again with a bunch of people and we're wrestling with what to do in our community. And there are people gathering of all different groups and we have the same 
heart. We may not be motivated from the same source, but we are driven by the same heart and compassion to meet needs within our community. So this morning I would say to you, if you wouldn't, I've challenged you a little bit, so let me pat you on the back as well. Look around you, the people you are seated with this morning, you are making a difference. You are making a difference. Leamington speaks well of you. Leamington speaks well of you. I sit in meetings all the time. I was just in a meeting the other day and someone said, oh, wait a minute. That church, they're good at this. We should ask them. And I did. And something they thought would take days to do, one of the guys in our church did in ours. Because that's just how good we are. God's gifted us. We may not be a different church, or we may not have some of the things different churches have, but God has gifted you and I. And I want to just tell you, if you are part of this church, excuse me, if you are part of this church, you are making a difference in this local community, and we must strive to continue making a, more, a greater difference. You are also making a difference around the world. This summer, we may send as many as 45 people on short-term mission trips. Now, I know short-term mission trips change the person more than the place they go. But 45 people from this church, possibly 45, are willing to say, I will spend a chunk of my summer to go and to serve other places. So we gather like this on Sunday morning to worship, to pray. We gather for biblical teaching and supporting relationships. We gather to even be challenged for service. And we will display generosity. We will display justice and compassion for those at risk and those that are maybe on the margins of society. And listen carefully to this line. The gospel needs words for explanation and action for integrity. The gospel needs words for explanation and action for integrity. And so we speak to explain what we believe, but we act to give what we say meaning and credibility. And so we cannot say we are a, you know, that Jesus is a loving God and, and a loving Savior, and then we don't serve with love and compassion. The mission needs leadership, and God has called this church to go and to make an impact in this community. I consider it such a blessing to be part of this body, to give leadership, and I am so thankful to all of you who are partnering together in this community and around the world. I could say so much more. I love this topic, and I'm excited about what lays ahead, and I want to just challenge you and I to just every single day, wherever we are, to continue to share the gospel with those we come in contact with. Let's pray. Jesus, what a beautiful thing for a gathering of people like this to listen attentively. And Lord, I know that maybe some things were said this morning that, that challenged our thinking, our theology. And I say, good. I hope it did. And, but I, Lord, I pray that the greatest thing that's challenged in our hearts now is who will we share Jesus with? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would Impress on each one of our hearts, not just the desire to do that, but the boldness to step out and to go. God, give us, give us sensitivity, give us discernment in the approach. 
And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go before us and that you would prepare the place and the individual. Thank you for what you will do. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.